We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You've seen, read, and heard stories about homelessness in the Chicago area and elsewhere, but one of this area's leading advocates for the homeless has spent more than a decade and a half to make sure you hear stories from the people who are homeless themselves. This week, we're going to hear from her. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. We lived in a garage with no windows, no bathroom, no sink, no nothing to cook in, no water, no shower, nothing. So you can imagine, just imagine what we had to do. And the people took our money. The woman's name is Annie. She lives in Washington State. And you're hearing a promotional video for a new book titled Dismazed and Driven, My Look at Family Homelessness in America. It's written by Diane Nyland, founder and president of Hear Us, a not-for-profit dedicated to trying to end homelessness. I'll let her explain the book's title later. Diane was at one time director of Hesed House, a shelter in Aurora. That's where I met her. But 16 years ago, she decided to leave this area and travel the United States in a recreational vehicle, talking to the homeless and advocating for them. She's produced films, written books, and in 2020, the pandemic made the travel impossible, and she wrote her latest book, chronicling 15 years on the road. Recently, Diane Nyland returned to Illinois for a while, and I caught up with her and her RV in Lyle. The name of the vehicle is, um, well, the nickname is Tilly, uh, Tilly 2, being my second vehicle. Tilly 1 just always reminded me of a turtle, and I didn't know anybody by the name of Tilly, so I <coughs> just said Tilly the turtle. Tilly 2 is a sleeker-looking turtle with an interior of Diane's own design. Efficient, utilitarian, and too small for a comfortable interview. So we went inside to a home in the Villa St. Benedict community where she was temporarily staying. At times during this discussion, I'm going to let you hear some excerpts from Diane's interviews, with her permission. But first, with both of us masked as a precaution, she explained why she decided on what turned out to be a 15-year odyssey. Well, 16 years ago, I decided to to do this um, little crazy journey lifestyle um, is was because I knew kids and families that were homeless weren't weren't being seen and they weren't being heard and I figured I could be there the instrument that would provide a way to share their stories um, and, and then you know it would help 
them, it would help the schools, it would help the communities, and it would be a, uh, it would be a good situation for all. Now, I have memories of uh, talking to you when you were the director of Hesed House, and in fact, I think of you as the person who explained to me about that families were the growing and becoming the dominant uh, clientele for uh, shelters and such. When did you realize that that was the case? Well, you know, I didn't realize the extent of the problem of family homelessness until I started traveling, and it surprised even me. I, I was I went to non-urban. Um, I went to rural places. I went to resort communities. Um, in small towns, and everywhere I went, there was there were families that were experiencing homelessness in in a lot of different lifestyles. I mean, they were in living in cars, they were living in motels, they were doubled up, and it's the invisible population that we've ignored from the get-go. I mean, it's it's been the problem all along. I mean, it's one thing to have a shelter and have them come in. And, you know, you can help families and, and do what you can. But there's a lot of families out here that don't get any help at all. So that's that's what I found in my first year, and that's what I've continued to see since then. And I know even in those early years, uh, uh, former Congresswoman Ju Judy Biggert uh, was uh, uh, instrumental in trying to get laws passed about that. But there are some people who were homeless but not even counted because we didn't call it homelessness. Right. If you stay with a relative uh, who really doesn't have room for you but you sleep on the couch, you're homeless, but that, that, that doesn't count. And has how much of a battle was it to get people to even count all of the homeless? Oh, you know, it's still a battle, Craig. It's a... Um, right now, we're, we're still trying to get a piece of legislation passed that... <laughs> And I'm almost ashamed to say this because it seems like we can't succeed in advocacy, but it's like there's a bill that's been introduced every year since I've been on the road to change the definition of homelessness that HUD uses because that's where the, the, the hang-up is. So HUD doesn't consider these families homeless when they're doubled up or, you know, staying um, in motels or whatever. But um, so they still have, you know, have yet to pass the bill, and it's a, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's it's still the problem, and it's actually a lot more of a problem, and especially after COVID, um, you know, totally disrupted people's lives. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know how much worse it has to get in order for us to at least do something legislatively that's going to give us a move in the right direction to start um, getting things done for families. I mean, it would, we definitely need to do it. We just don't. What is the argument against counting the non-traditional homeless as homeless, uh, especially when you're dealing with families living with relatives or people doubling up? Well, that was a question I asked one of the members of Congress um, 
And it was basically, we don't want to un unleash a floodgate. And I, I just said to them, it's like the flood is there. It's, it's not going to change because you decide that it's not a problem. I mean, it's, there is a flood. So it's, and that was the answer. I mean, it was. And you would think COVID would have changed that because now I remember talking with the people at DuPage Public Action to Deliver Shelter, which is more popularly known as DuPage Pads. During the pandemic, shelters very often are, ag you know, aggregate homes where people are living together. You couldn't do that. Right. DuPage Pads started putting people in hotels, yeah. which actually ended up helping the hotel industry, the hospitality industry that was suffering. Sure. Uh, but that was definitely dealing with homeless people. Yeah. And they were homeless and they were living in hotels because it was the only safe place for them. You, you seem to think that this is going to make sense, but it doesn't. It doesn't, you know, the, I mean, right now I can say we have the HUD um, secretary, Marsha Fudge. She's at least someone that I think, you know, I've never talked to her, but she's at least a, a, a good person and, um, you know, seems to be on the right page. But, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is up the stream that keeps keeps this law from happening. But we do have here in this area, Congressman Foster and Congressman um, Sean uh, Kasten. They're both on the committee that can make this bill happen. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and I'm talking with Diane Nyland, author of the book Dismazed and Driven, My Look at Family Homelessness in America. It chronicles her 15-year journey across America and the voices she heard. I've been staying from hotel to hotel for almost three months. I done spent over seven, $8,000 paying for hotels. My children got in trouble with police issues. Um, had nothing to do with the residents, and I lost my place for that. I lost my Section 8 for that. And as I'm buying the ice cream, my husband starts calling me, and he just keeps calling. And I was checking out, so I answered the phone rudely and said, I hate when you do that. I'm clearly busy. And he said, Sarah, stop. The house is on fire. Come home. And then when I pulled up, of course, everybody's out at their house looking at our house, and our house is burning down. So just like that, we were homeless. I had a house, but I ended up moving out of the house because the landlord was a um, slumlord, and he wasn't fixing anything. So I had to go stay with my mom. So I got in trouble. We had to move out the place that we lived in for uh, eight, seven, eight years. I was, uh, I was incarcerated. Um, my son was forced to go live with his mother. Those are excerpts from a few of the interviews Diane Nyland conducted in her travels. You heard the voices of parents named Tanisha, Sarah, Amira, and Aurelius. Sarah says it's a precarious existence. You know, they were all sharing a room. Technically, there was five kids in a bedroom. I could have probably had them taken from me. Like, you're walking on eggshells the whole time. You don't want to upset the person whose house you're taking over. And because there's seven of us, we really are taking over their house. Of course, at some point, my kids will fight, and then... Are they going to be mad and kick us out? And you know it's temperate, so you don't want to get too comfy. Diane Nyland talked with me about what she saw and heard in thousands of miles of travel. I was really dumbfounded as to 
the living conditions of so many people. Um, you know, there's people that are in, you know, mobile homes that are totally falling apart and dilapidated. There's people living in, in parks and not with the finest camping equipment. They're, you know, just barely existing. And they just um, have a, um, just a horrible existence. And it's, you know, it's, it has exceeded my worst nightmares. So that's, um, that's what, I, what I found. Um, what I decided to do, and I just had to keep doubling down on this, was get the stories that were the most gut-wrenching and make those films. And, and short and, you know, I'd say short and sweet, but they're not sweet. They're, they're stories of families that are really struggling. And, you know, the families, some of them, they'll make it. Some of them won't. Um, it's, you know, but their stories are, are powerful testaments to the, um, the problem. Are there themes running through many, if not most, of these stories? Yeah, there's the sad one. It's because we don't have the mental health services. Um, so many um, people have been experienced trauma. And the trauma can come from uh, abuse, it can come from uh, physical violence, it can come from, um, you know, psychological, you know, oppression. Um, so there's a lot of trauma uh, impact that just hasn't been uh, addressed. And that, partic that particular issue has a... Um, has a real impact on the families because it, you know, the parents say it's the mom, you know, it's like she's not going to make the best decision. She's going to be responding to, you know, her her trauma brain. And it's, you know, it's, it's she'll do the best she can, but, you know, you don't make the best decisions when you're experiencing trauma. And it's a um, one of those things where you have a, uh, you know, so then she makes a bad decision that impacts the family and you know, it just keeps going on and on. So, and, you know, so that's one big thing, the, you know, but the economics, you know, and, and the housing, you know, er, th this is one thing that gets me. Every town I go to, they, you know, they're like, oh, Diane, you just wouldn't believe how much the housing is in this area. And we we can't afford housing in this area. This has you know never happened before, and they're they're dumbfounded, like they are the only town that is experiencing this. This is that as I go from town to town, this is what I hear. You know, we talked about the the mental health issues. I think, at least what I've seen, is that a lot of especially where there are female-headed family groups. Domestic violence is somewhere in the oh, yeah. background there, and that that's another type of trauma that people are trying to recover from. Right, and it's really hard to recover from any kind of trauma if your housing instability is, um, you know, housing stability is so unstable. I don't know how to say that, but it's just like if you have no stability at all, you can't recover from trauma you just I mean it's like you need a place to lay your head you need a, a place where you know your kids are going to be safe and you, that you're going to be able to um, get your life together and it's a um, 
that we're that we're depriving families of that is just a um, it's just a, a criminal act. And would I be right in thinking also that it is hard to recover and get help if you're not stable either, because you don't have a consistent way to obtain services that might even be available for you. Yeah, the the instability bites you in in so many different ways. So it's you know school attendance, even though there is a, a good law, um, that can really be a problematic. And you know, depending on the community, um, it's you know really having the um, having any. Um, services you don't know the services in, in a new community and it's a uh, one of those things where nobody's really telling you and there's a lot of not helpful people so it, it's um you know it's really hard to try to get back on your feet when you have lost everything and it's just a uh, it's just you know you're on your own I mean in these days, it's, it's even harder. For example, meet Alexa, a student who seems to keep an upbeat perspective even as she describes a downtrodden life. Some of my closer friends think it's like way cool. They're like, oh my gosh, you live on your own in a camper too? But I try to make light of it too because, I mean, it's not all bad. It could be better, but it's not all bad. Currently in this like spot where I'm not sure if I should, you know, stay broke and focus on graduating senior year or if I should, you know, get a job. And so if I go and get a job, then, you know, senior year is going to, like, kind of take a knee in the back. Like, I, I love my mother. 100%. I love her so much. But, oh my goodness, some of her suitors. <laughs> Couple times it has been a little chilly. A little chilly, but blankets in the windows helps really, helps a lot. When I first started living in the camper, I ended up, I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do, like where I'm supposed to like shower or anything like that. We have really nice showers here. Um, laundry, I would usually, ooh, okay, so it sounds really gross, but I would sometimes just, um, take them into the shower with me and wash them here and then I would go and I had like towels and bags and stuff like that that I would wrap it around. Syllabuses are always one of those where I'm like well uh, I can't have my parents sign it. They're like well you can't pass the class unless you have your parents sign it. Well I mean my parents aren't around to sign it so that's that was also kind of a little bit rough. You know if I I'm a little late to turning in an assignment because I was, you know, trying to figure out where the wind in my camper is coming from. So I spent all night looking for it. Sorry I don't have this half page turned in. And so, um, a lot of the time it just sounds like excuses. So I get it, but... You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and I'm talking with Diane Nyland, author of the book Dismayed and Driven, My Look at Family Homelessness in America. Tell me a couple of stories that uh, that have stuck with you. Um, probably the first story that I always turn to is the... Um, I was in Reno, 
and there was a um, mom, a baby, and then she had three school-age kids. So I was hanging with the three school-age kids and did the interviews with them, but then came back to, they were in a church shelter. And so I came back with them and just hung with them that night. It was really nice. The shelter let me and the um, families let me. So it was like, okay, this is cool. So I just hung with the families. And in the process, you know, all three of the kids said something to the effect that, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to move somewhere else. I don't want to have to go somewhere else. This is, you know, like homelessness really sucks. And, you know, these kids were like really adamant about not wanting to move again. Okay, so then I leave Reno. I'm driving along and I get the call from the Reno uh, homeless liaison. And she's like, Diane, you're not going to be happy to hear this. And I'm like, no, I'm sure I'm not going to be happy to hear this. This is, um, so the family, evidently there was some altercation between a parent, uh, their, their mom and some other family at the shelter. And so the family was kicked out. And, um, which, you know, is really hard when you have a baby, um, like a newborn baby. We're talking newborn. So, and they had nowhere to go. So the, they ended up staying in the welfare office and staying overnight and then getting put on a bus and sent to the only person whose name she provided, and I'm guessing it was under duress uh, because she didn't have any place. And it was an ex, um, you know, from way back that, um, so she, the kids were put on a bus kids and her were put on a bus and sent back to who knows what and that was just that was just heartbreaking to mm -hmm. uh so i you know I, I think about them often every time i watch their film it's just like geez i wonder you know now these kids are 16 years older in some cases so i kind of wonder how they're doing mm -hmm. so um do you have hope that things worked out for them no, um, because I, I tried contacting anybody, and they went back from uh, Reno to uh, California, and I know people in both states enough to say, hey, you know, can you check into this family? Because their names would show up, and so, I, you know, I wasn't able to get any satisfying information on them. So it was just, you know, when that happens, they sort of fall off the radar screen, and that's... Um, that's really when things bad happen. Have any of the stories surprised you? Um, well, you know, they, they tend to not surprise me, which makes me really cynical um, in a sense. But the... Um, there are families that make it, but I don't even want to get too, you know, excited about, you know, that it sounds like they're doing well now because I've also seen families that I thought were going to do well and then, you know, a trauma issue comes up and um, creates some kind of havoc in their life. And it just, you know, people don't, people don't understand the, the role of trauma in, you know, people's lives. And it's just a... Um, 
you know, we, we need to understand it more. And, you know, I really had to look into it because of, you know, everybody, it just seems to be such a common thread. I know you said you don't want to get too excited about apparent success stories, but is there a story that you look to and say, okay, that turned out all right? Um, you know, I don't want to say there isn't that story. It's does it come to my mind right now, and I'm just, um, you know, there's, okay, yeah, so there's Juliana in uh, Arizona. She was one of the first families I met 15 years, 16 years ago, and she, I remember um, we interviewed her for a um, feature film that we did, the um, On the Edge, and mm -hmm. so um, Juliana just she there was something about her that was just like there was a, a spark there that hadn't been extinguished yet and I'm like all right that's that's nice so Julianne I can remember she was standing we were out out being interviewed outside and she's like someday I'm going to get my college degree and I'm going to be a teacher and I'm like hang on to that thought and I'm sure you know if anybody can do it you know you you've got it so so anyhow, I've kept up with Juliana over the years, and uh, she did get her college degree, and uh, she did get to be a teacher, and she's teaching in an Arizona school in a very poor neighborhood and is loving it. So it's, you know, you've got somebody that really just, she, she had a grit that was pretty unusual. Mm -hmm. I wish, I wish we could share it. Amen. What can people do when they hear these situations? And, and, and what can government or what should government be doing? Well, uh, you know, I, I just keep going back to we, we have to acknowledge the scope of the problem of homelessness. And, and that's especially for our government. We, we need to, we need to own it. And, and, you know, you hear HUD uh, counts of 500 and some thousand people are homeless. And if you look on my website, you know, I, I've got documented pages, uh, you know, it talks about up to seven, eight million, and that was before COVID, uh, before COVID. So, you know, somewhere somebody's right. I, I'll put money on me. It's a, um, you know, that there, there's way more homelessness and and don't tell me that a family that has just been thrown out of their brother-in-law's house where they were sleeping on the couch and they're now, you know, sleeping in their cars, it's don't tell me they're not homeless. I mean, what about that is not homeless? I mean, that's you know, they're not living in the Hilton. They're they're living in parking lots at Walmarts and and you know, cuz I stay in Walmart parking lots a lot and I I can hear, I was just in a Walmart parking lot in Missouri on my way back here, and, you know, I could hear this telltale starting the engine a few times, you know, an hour just to stay warm. You know, you hear those telltale, telltale sounds, and it's a, uh, you know, the kind of thing that's hard to ignore. So it's, you know, homelessness is, it exists. So I think that's, we we all need to admit that we don't necessarily understand how 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 much of an issue it is 
which is another reason I wrote my book. So, um, and, you know, and then get involved in their local community um, however they can. The school districts are, you know, usually happy to have somebody um, have a, uh, you know, helping hand in some way. So it's, uh, we came up with a book, 60 Ways to Help Homeless Kids. And uh, so, you know, we've I've tried to produce the tools that will help people, you know, do what they can do to help in their local community. And so it's a um, one of those things where there's plenty that can be done. But at least don't don't dismiss the the nature of the problem. Don't say, oh, you know, that person is always you know always mooching, or that person has just never wanted to get a job because. A lot of times the people who don't appear to want to get a job have other things going on and we just we get too impatient to uh, to find out what's really going on. That was Diane Nyland, advocate for the homeless, president of the organization called Hear Us and author of the book Dismazed and Driven, My Look at Family Homelessness in America, published by the Charles Bruce Foundation. My thanks to Diane for stopping in Illinois long enough for us to catch up with her. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 1059 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.